morning. My name is Dominic. If you're a guest in the room or even with us on Zoom, uh, we're so glad that you're here. We're grateful that we get to be together this morning to celebrate uh, Christmas and that we've got the kids and the families in. Just a heads up, I'm cool with the noise. So like if you're a parent and you're feeling like I've got to keep my kid down, you, you, you can be okay. You can, you can relax and you can rest. Um, I'll try to do my best to engage them a little bit. Kids, there is a video at the end. So if you sit through this for like 15, 20 minutes, you will get to see a video at the end. But otherwise, play with your magnets, do your crayons, do what you got to do. Uh, if you hear nothing else, kids, I hope that you just hear that Jesus loves you this morning, okay? Can we start there? Cool? All right. Jesus loves you, Beckett. You're the man. Awesome. Well, hey, listen, let me, let me I, to start this morning, I want to give us all of a, a question to ponder, and it kind of aligns with, with what Beckett just yelled out there. But here's, here's a question I want you to consider, is um, how do you imagine God feeling towards you right now this morning? As you walk in here this morning... In the body that he created and gave you, you wake up, you put on your clothes, you walk in here, not exactly sure what to expect, maybe. Some of you know exactly, some of you may not. But how do you imagine God feeling towards you this morning? Connected to that would be, how do you imagine that God feels towards all of humanity this morning? Or even, how do you imagine that God feels towards all the events that are going on in the world right now? And maybe you hear those questions and you think, what does that have anything to do with this morning or anything to do with the celebration of, of Christmas? But what I propose to you this morning is that while they might seem like odd questions, I think they're actually pretty poignant and pretty important for us to consider as we look at the birth narratives of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Now, over the last four weeks, we've been celebrating and, and uh, observing the season of, of Advent. And if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's three to four weeks, usually the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day within the church calendar that are set aside to help us really prepare our hearts and to welcome Christ and to celebrate his birth. We've acknowledged over the last few weeks that this year has been an exceptionally, exceptionally tumultuous year. We've acknowledged the fact of it's full of the world, the world is full of war and it's full of uncertainty. But in this season of longing and of waiting and of hoping for Jesus, we're hoping that we acknowledge this element that in the midst of that, we, we get to live in the tension. We're invited to live in the tension. The gospel invites us to live in that tension as we wait for the coming of Christ into our lives and again into this beautiful yet dark and broken world. We've looked at different characters in the narrative throughout the last several weeks, and we looked at how each participation speaks about God's heart and God's desire for the world. We've been talking about the fact that we believe God is the author of this story and that he has intentionally chosen who he wants to be in it. And each piece is significant. There's no insignificant characters from the stars to the animals to Mary and Joseph to the wise men to the angels, even to door holder number three. None of them are insignificant. All of them are important. All of them are key. All of them God intentionally put into the narrative and into the story so that each one could show a different aspect of God's heart, God's grace, God's goodness for the world. And so this morning, we want to intentionally look at what God is speaking to us through the divine voice. Not only through these human characters and angelic characters, but through his own divine voice, what he speaks to us as we look at this last passage this morning of the Advent season to celebrate Christmas together. And so I want to open up the Bible to uh, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at what might be a familiar story to some and I want to look at, again, and highlight, what is the divine voice saying to us this morning about us, about the world, and about all the things that are going on within it? So we'll read together Luke chapter 2, verses, uh, starting verses 1 through 14. 
And it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In verse 1 through 7, we get the context of, of this birth. And what we hear there ultimately is this. There's been 400 years of silence. And in the midst of that, there's an occupation of a power-hungry Roman Empire that's in the promised land of God's people. And God has chosen, after 400 years of silence, to come and to choose a common carpenter and a humble teenage girl to be the carriers of miraculous grace. They're to birth a baby into the world amongst the discomfort of the family livestock holding area. We've talked about all these pieces over the last number of weeks, so I'm not going to go into it a ton, but that's our context. That's the picture. That's what's going on here. And the next verses then tell us this, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now if you can imagine, you're a shepherd. Shepherds in that day, they were common, but they were kind of closed off and sequestered, if you will. They were important, but they weren't regarded. And yet here they are in the middle of the night, angels come. Now we talked over the last couple of weeks about this fact that, that angels actually in the Old Testament and in, in, in the, the birth narrative are, are quite common. In the Old Testament, they actually, we could look and we could see that angels were created by God, that they were messengers of God, and they always brought good news. They were heralds of good news. And it wasn't uncommon for them actually to come and interact with humanity, bringing a message, especially around the time of a birth. There was often a birth, there was even a name given, and of course the people reacted with fear. Now you're in the middle of the night, and the brightness of the angels coming, again you can imagine just the, the sense that, that fear is a normal reaction, but for the shepherds to experience and realize that the spiritual realm is real, that God is active, and he's breaking in to bring a message, again I think their fear is reasonable. And yet this passage, the key point of it isn't the angel's appearance. That's not the central point. It's the message itself and the fact that God is at work and he's going to move in the world in an amazing and greater way. And so I want to focus this morning on Luke 2, 10 through 11 for us and see again how we might answer that question that I posed at the beginning. How do you imagine God feeling towards you this morning? Or how do you imagine God feeling towards humanity or towards this world and all the events that are going on within it? And how does this message allow us and help us to sit in the tension of what is and what we hope and long to be? The angels give this message in verse 10, and it says, And the angels said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to look at a few key parts of this message to help us understand, again, what I believe is the answer to those questions. We hear good news, great joy for all people. Let me talk first about, about good news. The good news was in, in that time and day that it kind of had, would have had two meanings. For those that were familiar with ancient texts in the Old Testament scriptures, they would have potentially known and heard good news as the, the proclamation that the prophet Isaiah made thousands of years earlier that there would be a Savior. This was good news. But for the shepherds who were common people, it's more likely that good news to them was actually associated with the empire and the emperor. Not that it was necessarily good news, but that good news once a year was proclaimed. See, in the old Roman Empire, what would happen is that once a year, on the emperor's birthday, he would send out heralds out into the streets, and they would declare, good news, good news, the emperor is alive. The emperor is healthy, the emperor is well. Let's celebrate and have a party. For these shepherds, that would have been their understanding of good news. And so for these angels to come and to break in in the middle of the night and to declare that God was doing something new and God was bringing good news, this would have been an association they would have made to the empire and it actually would have been a, a complete affront to that empire to say, no, 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 there's good news that is coming and it's actually going to be coming through a baby. There's good news coming and it's a different kind of good news because it's actually good news of true great joy. See, back in the day when the emperor would go and, and send out this message that it was his birthday, that he was alive, that he was well, what the people would have to do is they would have to come and they would have to pretend like they were happy. They would have to come and they would have to bring sacrifices. They would bring gifts. There would be a cultural celebration for the emperor that required people to bring these obligatory demonstrations of happiness and devotion. What the angels proclaim again is an affront to the power of the empire, to the traditions of the day, proclaiming that this good news that they're talking about was an actual truth event, one that would reshape all of history, not just give them another year under occupation and oppression, but in that the one that actually was being celebrated was the one bringing the gift. They didn't have to show up and pretend they were happy. They would show up and it would be life-altering and produce real joy. The angels are proclaiming that there would be this, this event in which this new king would show his devotion to the people as opposed to the people having to pretend like they're receiving the devotion from the king. And this was good news of great joy that was for all people. The angels talk about the fact that what they desire, what God's heart is, is that he wants all people to hear this good news. That there's a new system, there's a new regime, there's a new power and it's different and it is an affront to the current powers of the day. As we've seen throughout the last few weeks as we've looked at the narrative and the story, what we've seen is that the good news that's declared through the nativity includes people from all ages, all genders, all lineage, all ethnicities, all nationalities, all jobs, all tax brackets, all socioeconomic statuses, all appearance. It's not just for the powerful. It's not just for the socially accepted. It's not just those who can come and put on the pop and circumstance and pretend. But that God is bringing good news of great joy for all people. And the angels declare that the source of this good news, that in a sense turns the world and its systems on its head, comes from the one who was born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And again, I want to look at three things in that statement. 
Because the angels tell us very clearly the source of this good news of great joy. They say that it's coming through a Savior. And again, this would be a reference that the people of the day would have understood. It was a reference to God's promises to rescue His people. In the Old Testament, there was one who was to come who would deliver divine deliverance, bring liberation, bring restoration from the long-awaited Savior. And this Savior would be Christ. Another word for that would be Messiah. The people would have heard this and understood this anointed one, the one that who would deliver and rescue, the one that was appointed specifically by God for that very task to bring about the things that they have been waiting for, that they have been longing for, that they have been hoping for. He's not only the Savior, He's the Christ, but He's also the Lord. See, the Lord is a title of power and authority. And again, in that day and in that time, guess what the emperor allowed himself to be called? Guess what the emperor wanted himself to be called? Both Savior and Lord. This Caesar Augustus that is spoken of and that we read about in verse 1, who caused all the people to come together to be registered, the way that he ruled with his power, with his authority, was with a heavy hand. And the angels are saying, there's one who's the Lord who is coming, who is going to rule differently, not with the corrupt authority of the day, but one that would come in fulfillment of God's promise. Again, the long-awaited Savior and his exercise, his authority, his dominion would be quite different. This was good news that brought great joy, and it was for all people. Joy being this, joy is a recognition of God's grace extended or given to us. And the angels are saying that in the birth of this child, that joy, that recognition of God's grace, of what God is doing in the world that has never been done before, is extend His grace in the birth of this child who's going to be a Savior, who's going to be the Christ, and who's going to be the Lord. And as the angels declare this, it's almost as if the message was too powerful just to be contained or proclaimed by one angel. What we see is it says in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angels a magnitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying more about this message, more about this Savior and this Messiah and what He would bring. It was such good news that the heavens burst into song and they say this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So this good news of great joy is actually not only of great joy, but it's also a message of great peace. Again, this was an affront to the message of the empire of the day. If you're familiar with, maybe you've heard the term Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. See, the emperor of the day not only told the people that he should be called Lord and also Savior, but he had, that he had brought true peace. There was this belief that under his rule, under his reign, under his authority, under his occupation, under his dominion, that there was peace in the world that they all got to graciously live under. And the angels declare, no, 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 no. There's a peace that comes. There's a shalom, a wholeness, a reconciling between God and humanity, between humanity and humanity, a restoration of relationship between all things and all people and all nations. There was a contentment. There was a rest. There was a joy that could be felt and could be had actually in the land but it wasn't through the empire of the day. It was to come through this child who was born as Christ the world. And this peace was available to anyone on whom God's favor rested. And the angels proclaiming this again 
was countercultural to what would happen in the day. In order for the favor of the emperor to rest on the people, they had to come and bring their gifts and act as if they were happy, as if they were joyful that he was living another year. But the angels are proclaiming that this king, who's bringing true joy and bringing peace, that this peace was available to all simply who would receive it. No pomp, no circumstance, no pretending, no offering that you have to make, but simply receive the gift of the joy and the peace that is freely coming through this child who is born, Christ the Lord, the Savior. If you put all the scenes together that we've looked at over the last number of weeks, and you put all the, all the information together that we've looked at this morning, what the angels are declaring ultimately is that the Christ child would live a different kind of life as the anointed one. That the Christ child would be a different kind of Lord and Savior as he grew. That the Christ child would bring a new type of kingdom that was counter to the empire of the day. That he would make a new way for all humanity to be restored and truly flourish. All the scenes, all the circumstances of Jesus' birth were proof that it would be so. In the birth of Christ, what we have seen is that the marginalized are centered and they share the spotlight with the Christ. The poor are lifted up and they're given a place of significance right at his side. The educated and the wealthy, they're brought low in humility in the presence of the birth of this king. Jews and Gentiles worship the same king. The young and the old are given equal value, equal voice, equal opportunity in this scene, in this playing out. The doubting and the devout, they both experience freedom in the mercy and the grace of this king. Men and women are not pitted against each other, but they're given the freedom of participating in the work of God together to bring about and fulfill the purposes of God. Everyone is given the same gracious welcome. Everyone is given the same gracious invitation and opportunity to be in relationship with God through the love that is being brought through the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And as we've seen today and as we've seen throughout these weeks, here's what I think. I think that God intentionally included this unexpected cast of characters. He included this cross-section of humanity so that people from all walks of life, both in their day and in today, could see and know that everyone, everywhere, for all time, is loved and cared for by God and that He desires to be in relationship with all. I believe that that's truly the heart of the Christmas story. That's truly the heart of what God wants to proclaim every year that we get together and we think about and we consider the birth of Christ and what difference does it make. Is that God is declaring His deep love for all people. Reminding us that there's not a single group of people on this earth that are outside of His love. And He invites us to be carriers of that message, carriers of that good news. Whether we identify with the Mary and the Joseph or we identify with the shepherds, maybe you identify with the wise men and the educated, maybe you identify with the prophets. No matter where you are in this life and in this story, no matter where society puts you, what strata, what caste, no matter the circumstances, God has included people in every aspect of the story so that we could see ourselves in it and that you and I could answer the question of what do you believe and understand is God's view towards you this morning? You know that he welcomes you into the story. You know that He sent His Son for you. You know that you could live with peace and joy, not that you have to earn, not that you have to put on the pomp and circumstance, but that you can simply receive in the humility of the Christ child who came for you. 
this message of good news, of great joy, I believe was good news then in a fragmented, hurting, and divided world. And I believe it's good news of great joy today as well in our world that's divided, that's hurting, that's war-torn, that's suffering. And we, by faith, are invited to be part of celebrating with great joy even as we hold the tension of the brokenness even as we acknowledge our longing, even as we acknowledge our hopes and our desires for what the world is to be, even though we acknowledge it is not yet so. This morning, I hope, as I told Beckett and as Beckett declared, I hope you know this morning that that God loves you. That you can walk out this morning, you can answer that question of how do you think God views you this morning? And that you can know with certainty that because He sent His Son into the world to be born in such humble circumstances, that you would know this morning that He loves you. And that you could look at the things going on in the world and with some confidence and hope you could say as well that God looks at this world and He loves it. And that you could hold on to the hope and the faith that God is still actively at work and He's still actively breaking in just as the angels did that night. That God is still actively breaking into this world and He's inviting to partner with Him those who humbly would receive this message of good news. And that each of us can be carriers of that into the world. This morning, to wrap up our time, I want to give us a few moments of of reflection. I have a video that's going to play. And this video is going to show for you different scenes and pictures of things going on in our world today. Some of these you'll recognize maybe if you've looked at Times 100 photos of the year. And some of these maybe you'll recognize from within our community. But the words of the song that accompanies it is this phrase that cries out to say, Be near, O God. It's words written... Uh, in reflection from from Psalm 76. And this morning, as we reflect on this to wrap up our time, here's my invitation to you. I want to invite you to consider where are the places where you are crying out for God to be near to you? Where are the places where you'd acknowledge that you're living in the now but the not yet and holding on for the hope and the longing of this Christ child to come and bring good news of great joy and of peace to your home? to your family, to your neighborhood, to our city. But also, would you allow this reflection to lead your heart into thinking about the places in our world that are hurting and longing and in need for a Savior? My hope and desire is that this morning you'd be encouraged to long for Christ as you begin your celebration this weekend. And that also you'd allow the love of God empower you to want to go out and to share this love with all people believing and understanding that God desires us to see the world the way that he sees it, and he's given us his love so that we might love it the way that he loves it. So I want to invite you to reflect on this video, and then we're going to worship out.